So, um, you know, as I shared, we're in Acts. For those of you who, uh, like Jim, you haven't been here for a while, or maybe Mike and Zach, Acts is a letter written from a guy named Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is in the New Testament, which was the letter about Jesus and his life. It was an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, who he was, what he did, and his followers. It was the starting of him calling people to himself. And he wrote it to a guy named Theophilus who was a, like a, a dignitary, uh, a Gentile, who he was explaining who Jesus was. And that's what the Gospel of Luke, it explains about the crucifixion as a eyewitness account of that. Well then, Acts of the Apostles is about his followers. It's how what Jesus started, they continued. And it unfolds in chapter 1, starting with Jesus being mentioned there before He ascends into heaven. And He challenges and commissions these followers of His, specifically the 11 apostles, and they choose one more to make 12 because there's 12 tribes. And they choose this person. And these 12 apostles will have a special calling. And it's not that they're more special in value than you and me, but they had a special place in God's unfolding plan. And they were to have miracle working power. Power that you and I have access to, but God has not chosen to manifest it through us. It doesn't mean that the power is not there, but He had a very specific purpose and use for that miracle working power. Now there's a lot of people today that say, He's still doing that with people. They call themselves apostles. I don't think they are, and I'll tell you why. God does not, he does not disperse that power to people with bad theology. These people represented Him. And so He took these apostles, commissioned them, said, listen, I want you to wait till the Holy Spirit comes on you and then be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they are, Judea, spread it out, Samaria, other cultures to the ends of the earth. And that was the plan. And so what we saw in chapter 2 was God says, okay, I'm going to give you a little help. And He introed the coming of the Holy Spirit by having them speak in a language they never studied for. They hadn't been trained in it. So they got all these people that are in Jerusalem for a feast and these apostles, and I think some of the 120 at that moment, start speaking in untrained languages. They were not trained in them, but they were known languages. It wasn't gibberish that was coming out of their mouth. It wasn't a made-up prayer language. This was a known language of the people there and what they were proclaiming Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah. And they were tying it into the Old Testament prophecies. In fact, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And we looked at that. Well, as they proclaimed that message, guess what? 3,000 people trusted in Jesus that day, began following Him. So the church went from 120 to 3,000 like that. Well, that made the religious leaders upset. They arrested them, brought them before Him, said, you've got to stop speaking about this Jesus. Peter said, you killed Him. And he went into the Gospel with them. You killed Jesus from Nazareth. You killed the one you were supposed to be testifying about. Because the Jewish leaders, the Sadducees, ruled the Jewish people from a religious standpoint, and they were guardians of the Torah, the Old Testament Scriptures. And instead of doing that, they testified for the world. They represented Satan more than they represented Jesus. And so 
they let them go for no reason, really. They just let them go and just said, don't speak about Jesus of Nazareth anymore. So what did they do? They went out and started speaking about Jesus of Nazareth again. Because they said, we have to follow God, not man. And so they are on their way to the temple to do what God's called them to do. And there's a lame man there. They healed the lame man. And all of a sudden, people are going, wow, they healed this guy who's been lame for 40 years. And then they start preaching again. 5,000 men trust Christ. So the church is just exploding right now. And keep in mind, no building, no budget, no committee. But they had a lot of power. And they were exploding in growth. And as they were exploding in growth, guess what happened? Guess who popped into the scene again? The Sadducees. They go, whoa, you can't be doing this. You can't do this. And so they had them arrested again. And what happened the second time? As We're going to see what happens when they arrest today. But what happened in between the time they were preaching in the 5,000 and the actual arrest was there was a, a group of believers that saw all these needs around them and they start selling their property and bringing the money to the apostles saying, help these brothers out. There were thousands of people there, had no job, no home. They were from other countries. They had come in for a feast not knowing they were going to stay there, but they had no church to go to. So they couldn't go back home, so they had to stay there. And people just start selling property and bringing it in. And we saw last time we were together that unity of the church is very important and should be a priority. And we said, in our culture, it's not very important. That's why you have Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic, all these different backgrounds of churches that all operate independently. And within each denomination, you have independent empires. And so, we're not unified the way he prayed in John 17. I pray, Father, that as we are one, they would be one. And, and the unity is something that I said last week that it starts with us. And I said, I don't see Tim the Methodist. I see Tim, my brother in Christ. And that's the way we've got to start looking at each other. We also said that God wants purity. And so what happens? There's this guy named Ananias and Sapphira and his wife, and they sell property. They make people believe they're bringing everything, but they held something back. They were being hypocrites. They were presenting something more spiritual than it was. God snapped them dead on the spot. Right there, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. He took them off the face of the earth. He did Ananias first. Then three hours later, his wife comes to the temple trying to figure out what's going on. Where's Ananias? I don't know. Uh, she's seeing all these somber people around. Peter goes, hey, uh, did you sell your property for 5,000 shekels? Oh, yeah, we did. Boom, she falls dead on the spot. And all the people around go, whoa! The unbelievers in verse 13 said, they dared not join the group. Why? Why do you think they didn't want to join? Mike? This mic? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Zach. So you're new. I'm going to put you on the spot. You come in here the first day. I say, 
I, I, I come here to Jeff. I say, Jeff, you've been a hypocrite. God doesn't want that in His church. He falls out dead. What's going through your mind back there? Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Mike, you'd be right there with him, wouldn't you? Probably. Yeah. Listen, aren't you glad God doesn't strike us down for hypocrisy today? Because we're all hypocrites. But God was making a statement. He was saying, my church needs to be pure. And what I want you to see in Acts 5, 13, we're going to go back to verse 13 all the way through 42, and I want to lay out four factors that basically impact our mission of sharing the gospel or the good news of Jesus in this text. But I want to ask you a question as we go into it. We don't like accountability questions. None of us do. But we, we need to wrestle with this. Are we on mission? Are we on mission for Christ? Are we on mission for Jesus? See, most of us are in just survival mode. But we're supposed to be on mission. What if I got in the Marine Corps like I did, and I get through, I, I just go in and go, take my oath, here's your uniform, I put it on. Okay, I'm a Marine. That's not the way it works. I'm not a Marine until I go through training and I'm on mission. And you know what my mission was as a Marine? What? Any Marines in here? It was kill the enemy. That's what my mission was. Kill the enemy. Everything I did revolved around that. They taught me how to shoot a rifle. They taught me how to shoot a pistol. Taught me how to fly an airplane and drop missiles and shoot, or drop bombs and shoot missiles. Because my mission, everything I did every day was gearing me toward that mission. What about us? When we wake up, are we geared toward our mission? What is our mission? Our mission as believers is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to grow in Him, to do what He did. And what did He do? He came to seek and save the lost. How's that working out for us on mission? Most of us, when we wake up, we don't think that's our mission. We think that's the pastor's mission. We think that's the the really spiritual guy's mission. I'm too messed up to be on that kind of mission. Do you know how many messed up Marines there were in the Marine Corps? Listen, we got messed up people in the church. Have you ever read the resume of Peter? This is a guy that denied Jesus three times. Or, or Levi, a traitor to his people? It's not about who we are. It's about what He's called us to be and called us to do. Ephesians 4 lays out that He gives apostles, these men. He gives prophets, people that tell God's Word. Speak for God to people. Evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the body so that they can be on mission. Our problem is we've made our church gatherings a place to woo unbelievers instead of strengthen believers to go do what we're called to do. That was never the emphasis of the church in the New Testament. The church was was not about wooing unbelievers and making it more attractive. If you took 
Peter and put him in a mega church today, he'd be like, what is going on? Where, where, where are the people, where, where, which ones are believers? Because there's no difference. Modern churches just woo the unbelievers rather than grow people in Christ's likeness. There's no accountability. We talked about that last week. So here's the four factors and then we're going to read it and come back. First, one, first factor is a calling to holiness and purity. Doesn't mean perfection, but it's a calling to holiness, which is a separation from the world and purity. Second is a compelling witness of God's power. A compelling witness of God's power. Third is a bold endurance in the face of persecution. A bold endurance. These are all factors that impact our mission of sharing the gospel. A calling to holiness and purity. A compelling witness of His power. uh, A bold endurance in the face of persecution. And finally, one that's not something that we're in partnership with Him in, other than we receive it, is God's sovereignty. But we can't discount that as a factor. And I'll explain that when we get down to it in just a second when we look at this text. So let's read in verse 13. Let me get my glasses. And uh, we're going to read verses 13 down through 42. And just follow along. I know it's a big section of Scripture, but really as we read this, as I read this, listen to what's going on. Listen to what's happening in the text. And remember what had just happened. Ananias and Sapphira had just dropped dead. That's, what, that's the setting, okay? Verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. By the way, I just want to clarify something. Peter's shadow did not heal anybody. Nobody was healed. That doesn't say that. It just said they wanted to get so close they wanted to be where his shadow was. That's close. They were compelled to be where he was. Verse 17. But, remember what I said last week when you see but? If it's talking about man, it's probably not a good thing. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. By the way, that's not like Lottie or Stark. This was a terrible prison in the Middle East back 2,000 years ago. It's terrible if you get thrown in prison over there today. It was awful back then. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and they sent to the prison to have them brought in. 
But when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. When the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. I think that's awesome. I love God's sense of humor, how He just puts stuff. You got guys that not only disregarded what they said, but the angel lets them out and says, now I want you to go back and do the very thing that you got thrown in prison for. Oh, and don't worry, I got this. And, and these people go back and all these people are around them and the guards are the ones afraid of the people. And it says, verse 27, when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They couldn't even say Jesus' name here. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I want to stop for a second and remind you back in Matthew, let His blood be on us and our children. Wait a minute. Now we don't want His blood on us. Because they realize something's going on. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree, God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to who? Those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged. Of course they were, and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles... They beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and they never spoke about Jesus again. Right? That's not what it says. It says, and every day, every day. You hear that? Every day, guys. In the temple. And from house to house, they did not cease 
It doesn't say they preached. It says they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. Four factors that impact our mission. First, back in verse 13, our calling to holiness and purity. It said, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Why? Because God put His stamp on this and said, my church is to be pure. Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Don't take part in it. See, we tend to think of darkness as only the sexually immoral, somebody murdering somebody. But you know what? What's happening right now with critical theory is coming into the church as a tro- uh, in using uh, ethnic prejudice and what they call racism as a Trojan horse to come into the church and now... There's a movement right now that's called Leave Loud. I don't know if you've heard about that. But what it is, it's black evangelicals telling other black evangelicals, you need to leave every white evangelical group if you're a part of one. So whether it's a Bible study, a church, whatever it is, you need to leave and leave loudly because they don't care about us. It's out there right now. This is, a, this is an up-and-coming movement in the church. And I'm telling you guys, this is going to be an issue. Because just because I care about biblical purity doesn't mean I don't care about my brother Michael back there. And, and what's being told to people is, if you are committed to this, you can't be committed to that. And that's a lie from the enemy. Well, the whole thing, guys, is because there are issues that need to be dealt with that aren't being spoken about, you have people that are being swept up into this, leaders I'm talking about, people that I know have been solid evangelical leaders are now caving to critical theory. And critical theory was born out of Marxism. That's where it came from. And so we have a calling to holiness to be set apart as God's people and purity in doctrine and in action. And whether it's pornography or whether it's bad theology, we have a responsibility to expose it. That's what we're called to do. That's what it says in Ephesians. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see God. Posers hurt the witness of the Gospel. What happens is when you have people who are actively being hypocrites without accountability, they hurt the Gospel. Ananias and Sapphira. There were people in Corinth that were eating the Lord's Supper in a way that was, it was not right. They, they, were, they were not doing things the way they should and they didn't care about accountability and God took them out. You know, John says, 1 John says, that you can sin unto death. If you are not following Jesus and sharing Jesus, why should He leave you, leave you here if you're His? I mean, if you're His. I'm not talking to people who aren't His. I'm talking to people that are His people, His children, His followers. 
What is the only reason he leaves us on earth? Great commission. To tell people about him. You're not here. You see, some of us think we're here to raise a family. Some of us think we're here to just work a job. Some of us think we're here to just enjoy the things that God's put in creation. Those are all things that we do, but that's not the primary reason for being here. If you're His, He enlists you into His family. He brings you and adopts you in so that He can deploy you as His messenger to other people out there that have not yet come to Him. That's, that's what we're here for. And again, I go back to the Marine Corps. It would be like me saying, okay, I'm in the Marine Corps, but I'm never going to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to go to Afghanistan. I don't want to go to Iraq. I just want to be a Marine. That's what we do in the church. And He calls us to be pure in our doctrine and to, and to strive for this holiness to understand that this hurts our witness when we get involved with pornography. And, and it's like, remember I shared with you about the pastor up, up north last week who uh, is now 65 and the first time he's in love in his life with a 27-year-old model even though he has a wife and three kids? <laughs> remember that? Last, last weekend, I was in Dallas, Texas. There was a 95-year-old guy who meets with 20 guys every Tuesday. He meets with another 6 to 8 on Thursday and another 6 to 8 on Friday to disciple them. He can barely walk, but he's there every week. He was a pastor. He started off doing this in his church 60-something years ago. He never had a huge church. But the church continues to do what he started, and the pastor there now is Tommy Nelson, who mentored me. And this guy is still doing it at 95. So none of us in here have an excuse. 95! But the point I'm making about him is if the guy up in up north, his church is like 1122, multi campus, tens of thousands of people. <coughs> If you looked at that pastor up there and looked at this pastor down in Texas, you're going to go, this is a more successful church. This is a growing church. Man, it's happening there. It's exciting. This guy's just meeting with people every week, discipling them. There's only about 600 people in his church. And, and the world would say, this is the place I'm going to go. This over here, this guy's still doing it at 95. The guy who's 65, has he ruined his witness? Do you, think, do you think people want to hear him tell them about Jesus right now? People in that church now are torn. They don't know what to believe. They're distraught because this guy who was so gifted, so passionate, but so lacking in accountability, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but I know this. When you... Leave your wife for a 27-year-old and say this to people who hear you that you're in love for the first time in your life. You, you, you have just blown your witness to people for Jesus Christ. You've blown it. Well, it's happening all over, Van. It's all over. Personal testimony, guys is authenticated by corporate purity. So if you come into SWAT, and I know here that, Chuck, you're doing something that is dishonoring to the Lord, I'm going to pull you aside. I've done it with other guys. And I said, listen, 
you, you, I know you say you love the Lord, but this is not what we should be doing because it hurts our witness to people. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That's how we deal with it. We've got to have personal relationships with people. That's what we were about last night. Six, almost 60 guys, 57 guys came last night to go through that training for what that looks like. Well, the second thing he says in verse 15, 16 is this compelling witness of God's power. Verse 16 says, all were healed. You know somebody else that they said that about? Jesus back in chapter 9 of Matthew. Jesus healed every disease and affliction. See, I want to address this miracle thing for a second because these men were special. And I want you to just think in the greater context of the Bible. How many miracles... Uh, well, did anybody work a miracle in Genesis other than God Himself? No. 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 What about Exodus? Moses. What? Only Moses. Moses, right? Moses. But what happened in Exodus? The deliverance of God's people. Well, it was the deliverance, but it was also, what did He give them? The law. God's Word to His people. There was a time of miracles that authenticated Moses as having been with the Most High God. And then Moses gave the law. And who did Moses disciple? Joshua. Joshua. Did Joshua do miracles? You betcha. Go to Joshua and look. He sure did. Took the priest right through the Jordan River. It pardoned. Why did it say he did that? God authenticated him as his man. So we have Moses and Joshua in the law. Now, what about after that? Elijah first. And then Elisha. And who were they? They were prophets, right? Were there other prophets? Did any other prophets do miracles like they did? Did Ezekiel? Did Isaiah? Did Jeremiah? Did Hosea? No. God did miracles, but not through their hands. And then you have Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus did miracles. He healed everybody. And then who else does miracles? His followers. His disciples. Do you remember who was up on the Mount of Transfiguration? It wasn't Daniel. It wasn't Joseph. It was... No, no, no. It was Peter, James, and John. But I'm talking about it was Moses for the law, Elijah for the prophets, and Jesus for the gospel. And so all these people going around the world telling everybody they're apostles and they're doing miracles and they've got this gift of miracles. Why don't you go to hospitals? If you really have this, why don't you go walk down a hospital aisle and start laying hands on people? You see, these people screen people that come to their miracle crusades. I had Benny Hinn's nephew on the radio program who said that's what they did. They screen out people that are not psychosomatic. Because it's just fraud. God's not going to give His power to somebody with bad theology. Because the whole purpose of His power is to authenticate their message. And so, a compelling witness. Now, what about you? Can you have a compelling witness? Sure, sure. you can. I, I, I was talking to a guy the other day. He, 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 said, he said, man, I have never seen somebody have as much things happen to you as you in your life. And I said, what do you mean? And he, he, he brought up 
Some of you don't know this, but I lived for three and a half years on the St. John's River in a million and a half dollar home. Didn't pay one dime of rent three and a half years. The people that owned the home were unbelievers. Tom Turner knows where it was. So does Brian because they're, uh, Brian's brother and Tom's son gave me a big screen TV that he didn't have room for when he was moving one time. And we watched the Jaguars in there in a million dollar home, not paying one dime of rent. Who does that? And that didn't happen once. That happened five more times in my wife and I's life when we were in Texas. We lived in six million dollar plus homes, all owned by unbelievers. None of them charged us rent. Who lets a family with kids and a dog move into those kind of homes? Just think about the liability alone. You're right, right? We all have stories in our life where we should. Yeah. When we adopted Ellie, and I've shared this story in here, my wife and I are at a table in a restaurant. We needed $25,000 to adopt my daughter from China. A stranger we had never met came in, met us in there, called my wife that night, said she felt led to help us, ended up her and her husband funded the whole adoption. They gave $25,000 to people they had just met. Who does that? I could, I could keep you here from hours, and Bennett knows it, Tom knows it, Amos, anybody who's known me for any amount of time knows that yes, there are compelling stories, but you know what's required for those stories? A step of faith. If you don't have compelling stories, most of the time it's because we control our world to such an extent we don't step out of our protective zone. And God wants us to be people of faith. We've been meeting, and listen, don't send me emails because I'm not condemning masks, okay? I'm not. We've been meeting since last May. We have not social distanced. We have not required masks. I got a 90-year-old guy at the beach who's got COPD. He hugs me every time I come in there. And everybody else. And we have had no COVID outbreaks in any of our meetings. People have got COVID, they get it somewhere else. And then they don't come. John MacArthur out in California, 6,000 people, no COVID. Every Sunday they've met. Why do you think that is? Think it's just a fluke thing? Do you know there's churches here in Jacksonville that still aren't meeting? Because of COVID. Churches all over the country. And yet, in those same localities, people are going to the Targets and the Walmarts. They're okay with being hundreds of people in there, but they won't go worship. If something's hidden, I'm going to the church. I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters. I want to be praying. I want to be gathered around God's Word. And if COVID takes me, it takes me around God's Word. Amen. But the church has been impotent. It has not spoken up. And we've not been people of faith and we haven't had a compelling witness during this time. We need one. That's what the church back in the, the, the early church did. You know what they were doing? They were going during the, the epidemics there that were killing people. The church was the one burying people because family members wouldn't even touch them. We need a compelling witness. Well, verses 17 to 32 says we also need a, ba- a bold endurance. 
Just jot down Matthew 10, 26-32. They were bold. Peter's preaching the Gospel to the very people telling him not to preach the Gospel. I love that. He's, pe- he's preaching. His response to their admonition to stop is to keep preaching at them. Why? Because when man's law prohibits God's Word, you obey God's Word. We are commanded to preach the Gospel. We are commanded by God to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we need a bold endurance. Yes. The pastor up in Canada, James Coates, 31 days in solitary confinement because he met as a church. No COVID outbreak. 29 times they've met, but they decided they didn't want him meeting anymore. And he said, listen, we've been meeting. We haven't had COVID. Well, you're, you're violating the law. They arrested this brother, took him in chains, put him in solitary confinement for 31 days. And he said, and they told him, the judge said, you can get out when you agree to not meet as a church. So now in Canada, this brother is meeting underground with his church. Who would have believed we have an underground church in Canada? A bold endurance in the face of persecution and finally God's sovereignty. Well, let's guess. Yeah, but it's going to come here. But but notice this: what God does. Let me just finish with this about Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the great grandson of Hillel. There were two great Pharisee leaders in the history of the Pharisees. There was a difference. Sadducees were the aristocrats, the wealthy people who ruled, but they were also Pharisees on the council. The Pharisees get a bad rap in our culture, but they really were committed to Torah and the law. They, and the people loved them. And so a Sadducee, even though they were the high priest, would never challenge the Pharisees openly. And so here Gamaliel stands up and says, whoa, we need to step back. Don't, don't do anything. If this is not of God, It'll die, which I don't agree with that theologically, but that's what he said. Because success doesn't mean God's in it necessarily. True. Because it's only time will tell. But that's what he said, and he said it because of God's sovereignty. God protected his guys and let them go so they could do what they were called to do. Are they going to get arrested again? Yeah. All of them are going to die except for one of them for their faith as martyrs. But not now. Because we're on God's timetable. That's why in our life, God's sovereignty is the most reassuring thing to me that I've ever known. He is, he is sovereign. Amen. Gamaliel is a guy who mentored Saul. He was a teacher of teachers. And so when he spoke, they dared not really challenge him because the people loved him. And he gets up and he says, you need to let him go. And that's what he did. And you know what it says over in Acts 6, we're going to read next week. And these days when the disciples were increasing in number, they were increasing in number. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples increased. Do you notice how it uses that word disciple? See, we talk about believers. They talk about disciples. That's why we had the meeting last night. That's why we're going to have another one in May. If you didn't see the meeting last night or the first meeting, they're both going to be posted. I'm going to send a link to the YouTube site. They're going to be on there. I highly encourage you because I carry around um, 
now what we went over, that little tool, and yeah, you're, nobody's going to get used to it the first time. But you know what? When I flew jets in the Marine Corps, they didn't go, okay, this is what you do, Doug. This is how, this is how it works when you get air over the wing, and this is the way the controls work. Okay, here's the keys. Go fly. That's not the way they did that. They said, hey, you know, we're going to teach, then we're going to model, then we're going to let you do it with us there, and then we're going to send you out. And that's what we're doing. That's why we had a second meeting. We're going to have a third meeting. We're going to have a fourth meeting about once a month so that people can see. Who was there at the meeting last night? Was it helpful? Yeah. For those who weren't there, now's the time for shame. Um, for those who weren't there, in the last month, how many people have you shared the good news of Jesus with? How many men have you discipled? My, my, my guy out in Texas always asks me, where's your men? Who, who are the men you're building into? And you go, well, I, I don't, you know, that's not my job. If not you, who? I mean, if you're a believer... It's not just for the benefit of getting on that golden train that's going to take us onto the other side. It is to be his witnesses and disciple makers. He said, go make disciples. He didn't limit that to the apostles. He picked me. He shouldn't have picked me. I'm a murderer, adulterer, I'm a thief. I've broken, I think, every commandment you can break. And he said, you are going to be my disciple maker. And he brought a guy like Tommy Nelson into my life and others to build into me. And now I'm still going through. I went through last week, or last month when we were together, and I realized Rick's doing something that was helpful to me. Now I've set alarm on my phone, 419 every day. My alarm goes off. And I pray for people on my list. I never did that till a month ago. Now I pray for people. I usually pray in the morning, but sometimes I forget. But now every day I got alarms for other things. Why can't I have an alarm to pray? I don't pray for hours. I just shoot up some bullet prayers. Lord, just help Russ today. Lord, I pray for Ray that you would help him know you. And every day I'm praying. But I really encourage you to think about what we talked about. All right, think about your purity. Think about your witness. Think about your boldness. And think about, are you really trusting God's sovereignty? Because you're here today because of Him. He wanted you to hear this for whatever reason. So, um, Amos, will you close our time in prayer?